host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockeypedia Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me again as we sort out through these technical difficulties, it's my good buddy, Dom Luschishin. Dom, what's going on, man? Oh, it's been so long since I've talked to you. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, you sound, you sound amazing. No more echo, no more reverberations. It's, uh, it, it's, it's good old Dom, so I'm excited about this. Uh, also joining okay, so us... You heard the echoes too? Because I, I thought that was just on my end. I was trying to talk through them. It was so oh. odd. Oh, no. It was absolutely... I think everyone was hearing it, so I'm glad that we've uh, sorted that out by the looks of it. Uh, also joining us, our pal Andy McNeil. Andy, what's going on? Hey, yeah, I think I think uh, I, get, I don't feel I don't feel as bad now that I was so awkward trying to answer your questions because I couldn't hear half of them and uh, and I, I could only hear myself talking when I was talking. So I'm glad we're through that and we can uh, we can talk about hockey now. Let's let's do it. So let's let's start it back up from the top. We're gonna repeat it um, just because I really want to get get this conversation going as smoothly as possible. So what I was saying was I was listening to the Low Post podcast and they were talking about how in the NBA. There's a concern this season that the bad teams are going to be especially incentivized to just completely blow it up and strip it down. And anyone that's performing well and actually helping them try to win games, try to trade them away to increase their odds of getting the number one overall pick because there's a generational talent in this year's class. And we can kind of apply a similar principle, of course, a different league, but a similar principle in the NHL this season with Connor Bedard and how good he looks and how teams are just salivating over the idea of potentially adding him into the mix and instantly getting better next season because he's already that good. Um, Dom, how do we model for this? How do we uh, recalibrate the models? Because I remember last year, actually, you and I at a similar point in the season had a conversation. At that point, it looked like it was going to be the Sabres and the Coyotes kind of divvying it out between who's going to be the worst team and who was going to get the number one overall odds. And we decided that at some point you couldn't really even drop their projection beyond below 60 points because it would be, you know, too egregious. You have to assume some level of competency. How do we do that this season, uh, acknowledging that it might even be kind of applied to a, to a larger extreme with, with the desire to get a Connor Medard? Yeah. Like last year and like most years, there's a reason we don't go down to 60 points. And we saw it with the Sabres last year. It's because sometimes, they surprised and Sabres did. They had around 75 points and they went above their projection, even though a lot of people thought that they would be so much worse. And that's the thing, even at the bottom, sometimes teams do surprise and you have to project for those surprises and keep that in mind and not put a number that is too low where there is not enough space on the low end for those usual disappointments. But this year is obviously a bit different where there is not only a generational talent, but a very deep, deep draft where right off the bat, there seems to be four teams, five teams that are already incentivized to lose. And one of them in particular, Chicago Blackhawks have been so extremely blatant about it that it is a bit difficult. And already tonight they're I think their odds against the avalanche are obviously the best or one of the best teams in the league is already plus three fifty, which I've never seen ever on an opening night and it's hard it's a hard thing to model because there are still some good players on the team that are keeping it afloat and generally speaking I assume they will play the entire season but this year for the first time I have baked in some logic that they will be traded so guys like Kane, Taves, Domi, and Athanasiu normally I would project them to play 70 to 80 games but for the Blackhawks because my 
model projection was so off market, I just said, might as well be logical here and project Kane to play 40 or 50 games instead because there's a very good chance he's traded. And once I did that, they were closer to where they should be. But even then, there's a lot of people who think that somewhere around 65, 67 points is still too high. And I, I'm not sure how to model that because I, I do think the Blackhawks might still struggle to hit that bar. Yeah, Andy, in the 2014-15 season, uh, when Connor McDavid was going to be available and teams were really uh, doing everything they possibly could, including the Sabres trading away Michael Neuberth at some point because he was actually giving them above-league average goaltending. And I remember there was a Coyote-Sabres game in there that year, I believe in Buffalo, where the fans were cheering for the Coyotes to win so that it would improve the Sabres' odds at the draft. That year, Buffalo finished with 54 points, the Coyotes finished with 56 points, and the Oilers finished with 62. So... When we're talking about these lines, you know, we've got Arizona, I believe, 64.5, Chicago, 68.5, and then you get, like, Montreal and Philly in the low 70s. Um, Should we be looking at that? Was that 2014-15 season just such an entire aberration in in that regard in terms of how bad those teams really got? Or do you think that uh, the fact that Bedard's kind of coming around and we're generally considering him to be the best prospect since McDavid, that we should be thinking about that in terms of what we expect for how badly these teams really could bottom out. Yeah. So look, I think we're probably on that same sort of path. I mean, when you look, if the Chicago Blackhawks do move on from, from Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, this is going to be a, a horrible hockey team. Maybe one of the, the worst offensive teams in the modern area. Like the, they're, they're it's made up of entirely fringe NHLers, right. It's outside of really Kane and Taves. So, um, I mean, I think we could be looking at some some really bad teams in Chicago and Arizona, and uh, I would uh, assume that the, the the Bedard sweepstakes have something something to do with that. But I don't, I don't honestly don't really worry myself a whole lot. Like Dom, I, I baked in some some logic. I like we, I think um, I've got uh, Kane and Taves, you know, only playing until the trade deadline, maybe a little earlier than that, um, and you know, tried to tried to account for that happening, but. Um, I don't, I'm not going to stretch things too far, you know, from a from a betting perspective because I'm not I'm not really r- rushing out here to, to to bet on these teams to uh, to go under 66 points or 64 <laughs> points or whatever the total is right now, right? So um, it's because uh, that that's pretty tough to to do, like you guys mentioned. So um, I like to like just approach things on a on a game to game basis uh, from a from a bet from the betting side of things and uh, and take things take things like that because you don't really need to to worry about what's what's happening next right it's just that every every day every game is its own uh handicap and and that's how i kind of approach things throughout the season with with in regards to these these really bad teams tom i know that uh your model had the flyers third lowest after arizona and and chicago um it's still like a pretty pretty big gap between those teams um We'll see how it goes in year one of John Tortorella. I feel like there's plenty of potential for combustion. And if you look at this roster, obviously with Sean Couturier and Ryan Ellis being injured right out of the gate, it's fairly similar to the group we saw last year. I guess you're, you're kind of baking in. Hopefully Kevin Hayes will be able to play a full season and he, and he will be a difference maker for them. They added Tony D'Angelo. But beyond that, it's a team that was in the bottom five in, in pretty much every single metric last season. And I know that the Athletic did a fan poll and... Flyers fans, 1.7% of them uh, graded themselves as being optimistic about this team's outlook. What do, you th- what, do you th- what do you think the odds are of this team of kind of 
rather than sort of just being mediocre or kind of being bad every once in a while, but still being competent, like, I feel like we should acknowledge a slight possibility at least that things just go so badly off the rails with this team and everything combusts and they potentially join that group that we're talking about here at the bottom. Yeah, they they definitely could, uh, especially without Sean Couturier. I think above all the the bottom teams, the Flyers' vibes are the most off and as much as we like to model things, sometimes the vibes tell a lot, and there's a reason that their entire fan base is so pessimistic about this team. At the same time, I think last year was a bit of a worst-case scenario for them, and I don't think, even if the team has become worse this offseason, that they will be that bad again. I think, sadly, for Flyers fans who want to tank, this team is has a lot of competent players compared to teams like Chicago and Arizona, and with Tortorella behind the bench, that first-year coach bump, I think they might not be in... It's a very real possibility they might not be in that in the thick of that race because there's a bit too much talent. They still have Konechny, Therby, Atkinson, Hayes, as you mentioned. They have some OKD with Provorov and Sanheim, and D'Angelo is, is fine on the power play as well. So uh, teams like Arizona and Chicago, they, they don't have as much Chicago obviously has has Kane but you know they're doing everything they can to get rid of him and Philly just has has a bit more yes I guess the the bar is very low to clear in that regard so um yeah you got you got me there Andy like looking at the opposite end of things right the obvious uh kind of opposite extreme here uh thinking about the incentive for the top teams I, I think the Leafs are kind of in their own discussion here because I think the incentive is pretty clear to stay out of the Atlantic Division bracket and, and, and try to play a wildcard team in, in, in round one. So for them to try to finish atop the Atlantic and get as many points as they can in the regular season, that makes a lot of sense. When you look at a team like Colorado, though, for example, who obviously just won the Cup last year, um, is it fair to kind of wonder about what their own incentive is going to be throughout this regular season in terms of pacing themselves and potentially not needing to have, you know, Kale McCarr and Devon Taves out there for 27 minutes a night in a random back-to-back regular season game when they clearly have higher aspirations moving forward. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I do wonder about that, but I think, like, I mean, you look at you look at Colorado last year, the the, cent- or the, the injuries kind of, kind of paced them for themselves, I guess, you know what I mean? Like, uh, Landis Gog missed 31 games. Nachuski missed 20, 20, or 20 games. Uh, McKinnon, 17. Taves, 16. Kadri, uh, 11. Rantanen, 7. Uh, even McCarr missed a handful of games. Like, I think, you know, there, there's a, a couple of different ways this could go. I, I do wonder about that. But, um, I mean, you know, I, I'm not a mind reader. So hmm. I, I just, I just try, try to try to stick with what I know and, um, I think this is a, obviously an elite hockey team, and and maybe we haven't seen you know really the the, the best of this this uh, group yet. Uh, like McKinnon scored what forty goals the last time he, he played a, a full eighty two game season. So uh, I don't know. It's it's going to be really interesting to to see just how they, they like you said how they they uh, pace themselves, how they how they play each and every night. So uh, I'm excited to find out. Tom, what do you what do you think about that? Because uh, you know, Andy alluded to it. We, we saw it last season. Obviously, some of it wasn't uh, intentionally their own doing. It kind of worked out this way. They, they had, their entire team was missing because of the COVID protocols for a while, and they had injuries here and there throughout. It's not like they planned any of it necessarily, but it did work out neatly in the regard that a lot of their top players actually wound up playing somewhere between like sixty five and seventy games as opposed to the full eighty two. 
and potentially that that helped them in the postseason. Um, on a night-to-night basis, if you know that they've got their full lineup in store, you're, you're clearly going to just expect them to beat anyone they're facing on any given night, regardless of, of where they're playing. But if you're kind of prognosticating for the full season and thinking about, all right, can this team win the President's Trophy? What are our realistic expectations for what this regular season is going to look like for them after having won the, the Cup the past year? How do we kind of uh, weigh all of those different factors? I think a lot depends on who comes in and uh, takes over the second-line center job. I think Nazem Kadri has been still, and they seem to believe that Alex Newhook can fill them, and apparently he looks very strong in preseason and should be able to, and I think the quicker he accommodates himself to that role, the better the team is suited for competing for the President's Trophy and the Cup. Again, I think from top to bottom, they maybe lost some depth in the offseason, but they're still probably the strongest team in the league, and they are have definitely the strongest core with their top guys, and I think just by virtue of having that, they will be in competition for the top seed night to night. After winning it all last year, I think there is definitely a possibility that they take it easy and understand that they're good enough to make the playoffs regardless of effort level or whatever. We've seen it with Tampa the past two years where they sort of turn it on come playoff time. We've seen it in the past with teams like Washington and Pittsburgh, and I think Colorado might do the same thing where the regular season, they know it doesn't matter and not as much to them anyways, and they they can beat pretty much anything in the league regardless of whether they're giving it all every night, especially over 82 games. So I think they're in the running, but we'll see if they will be right at the top. Well, Dom, I remember this time last year we had a conversation about the stickiness of metrics from year to year, especially with regards to defensive metrics. And at the time we were talking, I think, about the Seattle Kraken, and, and they had all these players who at their previous stops had had strong defensive metrics, and they were coming together and kind of what we should expect from that, whether that can carry over. We're going to see some interesting kind of test cases for that this season, I guess, because some teams who have traditionally been on the extremes of defensive metrics in Dallas, Winnipeg, and then I guess Boston as well, um, kind of had a bit of a coaching carousel. How do we, how do we think about that uh, heading into this season? Do we, especially in terms of like applying previous metrics to our expectations of those teams? Like you got a team like the Bruins who. You know they're going to have uh, uh, Patrice Bergeron's back. Brad Marchand's going to be out to start the year. So is Charlie McAvoy. So we need to bake that in. But they've also had this kind of defensive structure or nucleus under Bruce Cassidy for years, where it felt like regardless of who was playing, they were going to be one of the stingiest teams in the league. Now they changed their coach, and the personnel changes a little bit. I know that your model was quite high on them heading into this season. Um, do you feel like it's kind of missing that potential thing? It's just kind of expecting them to to kind of carry it over from one year to the next? Or, or, or what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think so for sure. I think coaching is a huge intangible element that a lot of models won't be able to pick up on until there's actually games played under that coach. And it's definitely a worry for a team like the Bruins because Bruce Cassidy, when he came in, he changed the team significantly. They were good under Claude Julien, but they couldn't, finish they couldn't turn their strong possession into tangible results and he changed that completely and it was a bit of a surprise to see him get fired this summer and I'm a bit worried at how high my model is on them for that reason but at the same time these are still very talented players the Bruins added 
a few pieces and they look deeper than they have in a few years. So it's probably somewhere in the middle where they're probably, they might not be as good as they have in the past because of that coaching change. But at the same time, they made some additions that make them a, a stronger team than the one Bruce Cassidy, Bruce Cassidy coached last year. Yeah, I guess you could also say that Jim Montgomery coming in the last time we saw him coaching the Dallas Stars, they had a pretty strong defensive result as well. So um, you could apply that a little bit here. Andy, what do you what do you think about that in terms of the Bruins' outlook this season? And, and I guess teams in general that that have switched coaches and were on one of those extremes previously. Well, just kind of like my my general thoughts on on that. I I mean, I like to look into you know kind of the coach speak and whatnot when a when a guy gets hired to see you know what his plans are and uh jim montgomery didn't do a whole lot of talking when he was hired by the bruins but i do remember him saying when he was hired by the the dallas stars a few years back that he likes to let his horses run and and whatnot so i i I think you know it's it's going to be something to monitor throughout the season i don't really feel that i can um you know quantify it in any way to to really price it in to my projections uh year over year I, i guess i'm just in a lot of cases, when when there is a situation like this, I'm kind of just cautiously hope uh, optimistic, right? That um, that things will work out that way for a team. So, um, I, I mean, I, I'd like to see where it, where it goes, but I, I need that that 15 to 20 games before I really uh, really kind of put stock into anything. Okay, fellas, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, you are listening to the Hockey PDO Cast on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, we're back with more from the Hockeypedia cast. Andy, let's let's get into some some actionable stuff here for the listeners. Let's let's give out some of our favorite uh, things we're eyeing heading into the season. It can be individual player point props, it can be awards props, it can be team lines. Uh, give me anything that you got um, that really kind of catches your eye as as actionable for listeners. All right, well, I like the Washington Capitals to win the Metropolitan Division. Ooh, spicy. Plus seven fifty eight to one. Uh, you might even find a little better than that out there. I think that should be priced around five to one. Um, Washington is is a team a team on the rise. No, I'm just kidding. They're an old, <laughs> broken down shell of themselves. But hey, they're a great offensive team. They are a really underrated defensive team. I don't think Darcy Kemper gets talked about enough. Um, I think, you know, he must be coming into this season with a huge chip on his shoulder, uh, given that he battled through the eye injury and everything and still, you know, was good enough for the Colorado Avalanche in the end, uh, which obviously, you know, wasn't all that hard, I guess. But um, he's one of the best regular season goaltenders, and his save percentage the last three to four years um, matches up with a lot of the best and trophy favorites. And I, I think Washington, like I said, is, a, is an underrated defensive team. I like the moves that they made in the offseason. Um, so I like them to go over their, their point total as well. I think it's sitting around 90, 95 and a half points uh, at a few shops. And, uh, and they're a 101-point 100, team, in my opinion. Um, and the, the second-best team in the, the Metro, although the, the New York Rangers did look pretty good hmm. on, uh, on night one there. But, um, but yeah, like Washington is a team that I like. I also like them to make the playoffs. I think that line has moved a bit. Probably uh, it was sitting at around minus 160, which I think is ridiculous, uh, given that I, I think they have you know upwards of an 
100% chance of making the playoffs, as do I uh, do the Boston Bruins uh, in a similar position. Their odds were, were around minus 160 to make the playoffs. I think they'll make it upwards of 80, 85% of the time. Um, and uh, both of those lines have moved. But, you know, I mean, it might not be super attractive to lay a, a minus – or a minus 190 and, and have to wait six months to collect your money. But uh, those are, are pretty safe bets, all things considered. Yeah, on, on the goalie point, I know that, um, you know, they were pretty fed up with, with the level of play they got from their goalies last year, and, and they, they couldn't couldn't wait to uh, to walk them out the door and, and bring Kemper in this offseason. So I think just some level of stability from that and kind of knowing what to expect from them on a night-to-night basis is going to help that team quite a bit. I think winning the Metro is a bit too spicy for me, just purely because I have very high hopes for a number of teams in there. Um, and and I, maybe it's just you know me kind of uh, being unfair to the Capitals because we kind of know what to expect from this point, and it's not the sexy pick. But um, I, I think the odds certainly are there. Dom, what do, you, what do you think about the Capitals, and what do you think about the Metro in general? My model is a bit higher on the Capitals than it usually is compared to the market usually it is a team that the model likes to fade and calls for the under and then the season plays out the capitals get 100 points mm. i so i just ignore usually what it says about the capitals but this year because of kemper it is higher than the market price i think it was their over under was around 94 points something like that and i'm at like around 97 so not as high as andy so i it's not enough for me to put a bet out but i i do like uh I do like the Boston one he was mentioning. And in terms of the Metro, if there were a bet to, I guess, lay there, I am sort of shocked the Islanders are plus money to miss the playoffs because mm. they missed the playoffs by a lot last year, and I, they didn't get better. They got worse if you consider the how old the team is and how the field of playoff teams improved around them. So I, it was a bit shocking to me to see plus 110 for them to miss the playoffs. I think that is a pretty pretty smart bet because I think they are probably north of 60% to miss the playoffs. I second that. Uh, I will say the, the Metro is certainly tough. I guess the counter here would be you know the context of last season where they start with however many games on the road and then uh, it was it was ultimately it was a joke that the league allowed them to play some of those games with how many active players they really had and what their lineup looked like for a number of those games um, before they kind of actually put into place a COVID protocol and started sh- kind of rescheduling games. And, and they were one of the few teams that was shafted because of that before the league adjusted. And so if you look at their, not necessarily second half splits, but especially like that, that good chunk in the middle back half of the season, it started to normalize much more to being a, a, a relatively stingy defensive team that was getting great goaltending and, and not giving up a ton. And that's kind of what we've come to expect from them. Now, you know, Barry Trotz is gone um, and, and they didn't really add much in terms of personnel throughout the offseason. So I get the skepticism. I do think that the context is important. Like if they come out and they're just winning a bunch of 2-1 games again, I, I got to say I will not be surprised at all. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I, I've, I've had a long history of my model not like <laughs> fading the them Yeah. And uh, last year was the first year where I was like, hey, this team might actually be good again. Then they weren't. So I'm... I'm back on the fade train because I just I don't see it, especially after they let Trotz go. And um, I think the big thing for me is last year they got Vesna caliber goaltending from Elias Sorokin and still missed the playoffs. So yeah. I just I, I don't know how much offense there can be there to be 
confident given just how strong the top eight teams in the in the East are and how much better Ottawa, Detroit, the Devils, and Columbus look as well. Yeah, I will say that I think Matt Barzal's over-under for points this season is listed at 63.5, and, and that seems egregiously low for a player that talented who is like the number one guy on a, on a team's offense. But I guess that kind of ties into into what you're saying there about the concerns. Uh, Dom, give me give me one of your your favorite ones in terms of where your your model kind of disagrees the most with what a team's uh, line is set at, or or it can be a, it can be a player prop as well. I mean, it's it's not fair that Andy got two and then mentioned my biggest one, which is the Bruins. <laughs> but uh, I won't I won't blame him too much because uh, I gave you a layup, fan. So. I'll, I'll let him have that one. Uh, and if Andy's a Bruins fan, talking up the Bruins, I gotta go with my guys and talk up the Minnesota Wild. There we I, go. I my model has loved for two years straight, um, and has has made me a lot of money. And the market still isn't as fond of them as I think they should be. I think they're when I wrote my uh, best bets for futures article a few weeks ago, their over under was around nine, nine and a half. And I think that's moved since to over a hundred, but I still have them around like 106, 107 points. And there's still room to, to hit that over. And the wild since Kaprizov came have been one of the league's most exciting teams. And I, I think they played around 110, 112 point pace for two straight seasons now. And I think even losing Kevin Fiala, they're not getting the respect they deserve but that's just that's just always the case the the wild and they're my they're my ride or die and it's not just uh they're over under i like them to win the division the conference the cup obviously too much smaller degrees but i think if you want a longer shot uh the wild at 20 to 1 is is pretty good and if you don't think that they'll be one of the teams in the east then the conference is is fine as well that obviously depends on how you see them stacking up to the avalanche and i don't think it's favorable by any means but the avalanche did lose a lot of talent the offseason that i i don't mind the wild odds this year yeah andy um yesterday when i did uh i did players i'm excited to watch the season i talked a lot about matt boldy and how i feel like him and and marco rossi can kind of step in and cover for some of what they're losing with kevin fiala's departure i feel like the perception for this team especially heading into the offseason, was very doom and gloom because last year felt like, especially after they acquired Marc-Andre Fleury, it was like, all right, we're going to go for it this year. We're going to push our chips in. This is the final year before the buyouts for Parise and Suter kind of become extremely prohibitive and take up 15% of our cap. And then they lose in round one, and then they wind up trading Kevin Fiala for futures, basically. And it feels like people are sort of have been expecting them to take a step back or, or have missed their window to really kind of compete for a Stanley Cup. But I look at this roster and I think there's still so much there in place, like like Don was saying, to compete. And if you believe that that's going to be the case and they're going to hit this over and potentially even challenge Colorado for for the Central Division title, it seems like you know Kaprizov. I think you can get him at like twelve to one or something for the heart. Maybe even Dean Evison at twenty to one for for Jack Adams. It feels like just because of that perception that this team isn't supposed to be as good. If they wind up uh, bucking that and 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 actually providing the results you're going to be able to fill in that narrative as well of, all right, the coach or the best player kind of carry this team and, and overcame this obstacle that they had up against the cap. Yeah, so I'm not as high on the wild as Don is. I don't think anybody probably is out there. He's, he's, uh, he's, all, about, he's all about the Minnesota wild, as you said. They're his favorite team. He doesn't like any other team. He doesn't cheer for any other team. Definitely not the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, like, for me, the Wild, I mean, like, they're, 
good, but they're never good enough. And I kind of think they're still in that stage. They're probably heading towards being, you know, one of the, the you know, elite Stanley Cup contenders. In, in, or any, they're, they're probably heading towards being an elite Stanley Cup contender in a, in a, in a few years, uh, maybe even sooner than that. But I think they're, they're still in that kind of transitional phase. They're, they're there. They can compete. They have a chance. Um, I'm, but but like I said, I'm not as high on on them. And I, and I wonder when when you mention a player like Kirill Kaprizov uh, as a as a Hart Trophy bet, like are we not in the have to do something amazing or else Connor McDavid is going to win the Hart Trophy kind of era? Like you know what I mean? Like he's going to put up 130 points with his eyes closed, and he's going to be the Hart Trophy favorite unless Austin Matthews scores 60 plus goals, unless Igor Shesterkin you know, post a 950 save percentage or something wild like that, right? Like, so does Kirill Kaprizov have that ceiling? Like, was last year, like, I mean, 108 points last year. That, yeah. that, seems, like, that seems pretty high. Can he top that? Like, I don't know, right? So, like, I don't, I don't, I have a really hard time with the hard trophy bets. I, I, some people might disagree with this, maybe the price, but, I thought it was a fun bet. I bet on Kale McCarr at, at 15 to one to win the Hart Trophy um, because I, I think he's a, a capable of, of putting up 100 points, and I think that would grab grab uh, a lot of attention, obviously, and the voters just seem enamored with that guy right now. But um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm not as I'm not as high on the Wild. Yeah, I guess the argument for Caprizo would be, yeah, he scored 47 goals last year. Let's say he scores 50 and the Wild sort of exceed expectations or, or at least that public narrative of them taking a step back and actually get better and win more than they did last year and compete with, with and potentially even winning the Central Division in the regular season. I feel like you could, you could craft an argument there pretty handily for, for Caprizo. Uh, Dom, let me give you one of my favorite player props this season. And Andy, you can jump on this one as well. Jack Hughes, over 73.5 points. Uh, I guess it, whenever you take these player props in terms of the points, you're baking in like, okay, if, if this guy misses time and we've seen Jack Hughes miss significant time, that's that's going to hurt his chances of reaching this. Last year when he was fully healthy, we saw him, I made this case yesterday, we saw him fully healthy for 35 games in the middle of the year. He had 48 points in those, and honestly, he could have very easily had 55, 60 if his team had finished any of the chances he was creating. He was absolutely everywhere. They were running everything through him. And most importantly, I know that you had a tweet a while back about when he figures out how to shoot, it's going to be over. Well, his shot rate has gone up from 12 per 60 as a rookie to 14. Last year, he was shooting about uh, attempting nearly 19 shots per 60 minutes of play, which was top 20 in the league. And his shooting percentage escalated from 5.7 to 7.7 to 15.8 last year. So he kind of answered all those questions. I know people are really high on the New Jersey Devils, and we can talk about them as a whole here if you guys want for seemingly the 10th straight offseason where they won won the offseason trophy yet again. I'm I'm also quite high on them because I, I don't see a scenario where they use seven goalies who combine for an 880 save percentage and give up 60 more goals than expected like they did last year. And if that normalizes a little bit, all of a sudden the team is going to look significantly different. But I think Hughes, like, like Andy said, it's kind of silly to make any sort of Hart or Art Ross bets that aren't Connor McDavid because if he's healthy, he's going to run away with those most likely, especially the points title. But I think Hughes' odds are so exorbitant in that regard, and I feel like there is a range of outcomes where he stays healthy for 82. He's the player that we saw last year, and the New Jersey Devils actually finally put it together and take that step and compete, and all of a sudden you've got a pretty interesting case for, for a lot of different awards. 
Yeah, I I am very high on the Devils going to this year, uh, much more than my model is, which already puts them right in the cusp of the playoff race. Yesterday, I tweeted what I think the standings will look like this year based purely off vibes. And some of the things I put out were insane because it was more fun that way. And one of those insane things was the Devils being second in the division with 103 points and having this massive leap. And I, I just genuinely believe in this team and specifically in Jack Hughes, the way he looked two years ago on that night when I made that tweet was, he looked like one of the best players in the world. He just wasn't scoring. He fell over from the force of his own slap shot. It was hilarious to watch. And as soon as he figured it out, it felt like it'd be over for everyone, as I said. And last year, we saw that. I think this year he continues on that path. So if the Devils take this huge leap and that is led by Jack Hughes and he scores maybe 100 points and gets in that range then I think he can be someone who can contend for the heart and his odds are 38 to one right now. So I think it's worth a flyer given the talent level he has. We all obviously think it's going to be McDavid and Matthews at the top and those are probably still the safest bet. But if we're thinking long shots, I, I, I like his game a lot. And I think big things are going to happen for the devil this year that has a lot of people paying attention to Hughes and, if he's healthy, which is always a question for him, I think 73 points is, is light work for him. Andy, the Devils gave up 14 shorthanded goals last year. When they were on the power play, they gave up 14 goals against. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't think... I, I guess I, I did quantify how bad their goaltending was, but it's, it's almost tough to wrap your mind around just how uh, kind of miserable it was to be playing in that type of environment. And I think... We should temper expectations on, on what you're going to get from Mackenzie Blackwood and, and Vitek Vanacek, but I feel like not that would be a step into the right direction, and that feels like a reasonable ask. For sure. So, like, last year, against the Devils, and obviously had some help with the, the goaltending issues um, and, and whatnot, but, like, betting against the Devils turned out to be one of the best bets that I made. I, I went under their 90.5 points total, and I, that was because I projected they would finish with 86 points. And if I recall, that was a relatively pessimistic forecast, and I was still way off, right? So, um, uh, you know, and I, and I bet them to miss the playoffs at minus 220. So fast forward to this year, you can bet them to miss the playoffs at, what, minus 170-ish. Um, I think it's a good bet. I think the Devils make the playoffs one out of every five times. Um, I'd... I'd you know, I, I think this is like an 86, 87 point hockey team. Like Dom said, they're you know in the on the fringes of the playoff conversation, just like the Ottawa Senators. But um, I, 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 you know, I, I just don't, I don't see them making this much, that much of an improvement um, that often, right? So it, it's possible it can happen, but um, I think it's one of the stronger bets for the Devils to, to miss the playoffs at, at around minus one seventy. I don't know. I'm, I'm high on the Devils. I think they're going to be incredibly fun to watch. I, I, I like all of the Jack Hughes futures. At the same time, it is concerning to me, Dom, that I kind of like Lindy Ruff for his coach fired at plus 750. So <laughs> that's that's probably like an indictment against this team. Well, here, here we go. Here's the thing. If he's the first coach fire, they're going to have that amazing first coach bump. They bring in Barry Trotz, and then they run away. <laughs> they run away and, set and beat Andy's 86-point projection with ease. With ease. Are you sure we oh, want? Like are you sure we want that though? Because Barry Trotz comes in and, and one hell of a coach, no doubt. But all of a sudden puts Jack Hughes on that Matt Barzal plan of 
listen, you gotta you gotta sit on the bench and watch how to back Jack before you get out there. Like I don't, I, I want Jack Hughes playing as freely and as wildly as possible. I don't I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think that is Trot working to the Islanders' skill set at the time, which was not very high, mm-hmm. uh, respectfully. Yeah. Um, when he was with the Capitals, that was a very exciting team to watch, and I think the Devils are a strong rush team, and they could use maybe a bit more structure like what Trotz can bring to the table. And if Ruff is the first one fired and it happens quickly, I like this bet even more. Um, my model is on market, so I don't actually have a bet on the Devils, but my I feel like they have strong strong vibes this year, is my gut feeling. I like it. All right, do either of you have any other ones? we got about four or five minutes left here before we, we sign out. Um, now's the time to, to voice any potential ones that you want to get out there. Dom, you want to go first, or you want me to take this one? You you can you can go ahead while I right. sift through what it, what is here. Okay, I, uh, I I think this one has moved a bit. I'm not quite sure it might it had might have moved a, a point or so, but uh, Seattle Kraken over. I think it's 82 and a half regular season points now. Um, I've got them around 87 points. I think they're mm-hmm. they're better than the the Sharks and the Ducks. Um, I think they're right in 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 line with uh, you know I, I, the Canucks. I think have a higher ceiling, but um, the Kraken aren't too far behind the Canucks in my in my projected standings. Uh, I think this is like I said, an 87 point hockey team. I like the moves that they they made over the off season. Um, you know, even if Philip Grabauer didn't do anything to, to change his game, he's probably not going to be as bad as he was. Uh, last year so um I, I i like the crack and the go over their regular season point total and i, I like them to, to win tonight against the anaheim ducks at, at around plus 105 or plus 110 all right Dom, what yeah, do you, what I, you got? I i have the same for Kraken. i'm around 87 points as well and well you were notoriously year, right on them last year right yeah yeah me and annie don't just don't just blame no 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 hey, hey 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 I I was the second lowest out of all the models. I was the second lowest on the Kraken, I believe. So don't don't throw could, me under the bus like that. Congrats on being the second worst class or second best. <laughs> um, I so it's the same thing with the heart. Where for the Norris, I think we all believe that it's Kale McCarr for the next ten years. But over the last ten, there's been ten different winners, and I. Really like Miro Haskinen. I think he's getting a lot of hype. It seems like the ties are turning for it to be. Dimitri, I know you're gonna love this. It's, I think it's his turn to to win it this year, and he's uh, he's sixteen, seventeen to one. He's gonna be finally playing top power play minutes, which should boost his point totals and get people to actually pay attention to the fact that he is a very elite defenseman at both ends of the ice. And even if he doesn't win i think he'll be nominated this year and if he's at 17 to 1 now i those are very good odds that you can maybe hedge off of uh closer to the end of the season because i think he'll be right in the thick of the race yeah i think they're gonna let him cook they're gonna funnel much more of the offense through him and let him actually use his skating offensively and you know what i, I think dallas last year at 98 points that i believe the line i saw for them was 94 and a half i i, I kind of like that over it's not a very exciting one but listen I think it's going to be a massive coaching upgrade. Uh, 
say what you will about Pete DeBoer, but I, I thought what Rick Bonus did last year was was deplorable. And so I, I think it's a it's a massive boost for them. I think they're going to be significantly higher paced, and I like that over. So, um, all right, guys. Well, I, I think that's uh, that's all the time we have for this today. We're going to have to kind of circle back to this as the season gets going. Dom, you and I uh, did that last year and revisited some of our preseason favorites, and, and that was always a fun show to kind of look back at what we got right and wrong. So we're going to certainly make sure to do that. Uh, thanks, guys, for taking the time. Enjoy this first kind of full night of the NHL season, and we're going to check back in with both of you. So take care. Yeah, thanks for having thanks us. Thanks for having me on.